0: Well, good morning. So I got to be honest with you and tell you that this has been a really hard message to prepare. Because it's all, yeah, you're laughing because this has been a really convicting lesson for the rest of you, right? (laughs) The power of our words, this out of proportion power that our words hold And so it's been a really hard lesson to prepare because I would much rather prepare a lesson about the destructive power of other people's words (laughs) and how we can find healing in Jesus, which we can, but that's a different message. That's not the message that James is inviting us into this morning. He's inviting us to take a hard look at our own words and the other reason that this message has been really hard for me to prepare is because James gives me a stern warning right out of the gate. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So I have been taking that to heart And I have been sobered by that warning this week. I've always known that warning has been in scripture. It's not new to me. And yet it has just held particular weight this week. Because I don't want my words to be words that are empty. Jesus tells us that everyone, this includes all of us, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word we have ever spoken. And yet, James then takes it a step further and says, you who teach are going to be judged even stricter. So that's sobering to me, and that has made this to be a difficult message to prepare. So with that in mind, I want to ask you guys if you'll pray with me. So let's go to the Lord together. So Lord, we come to you now as your daughters, those who are beloved by you, and we pray that you would teach us from your word this morning. Lord, and I also pray David's words from Psalm 141.3 over me right now. Lord, that you would set a guard over my mouth and that you would keep watch over the door of my lips. You say that you know every word before it is on our tongue. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning my words would not be empty, but that they would be your words. And Lord, I pray for our hearts to be open to what you have to teach us, because there is hope in how we use our words, and so we ask that you would give us that hope today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and for your good, and for your glory, amen. Amen. Well, so here's what we're going to do this morning. You guys have been reading this passage in James 3, hopefully throughout the week. And you just spent some time in your group discussing it, so you're pretty aware of what it says. So I do want us to run through the passage really quick. There's a few things I want to point out to you, but then I want to move into the what now piece, because I don't see James give us a lot of what now in this passage, and there is hope. And so I want us to get to that place. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 3, verse 1, and let's read through this together. It will also be up on the screen, and you're uh, welcome to read along there. He says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And then he talks to every single one of us, and he says, we all stumble in many ways, Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay, this verse should cause us to pause for a minute. Because what James has just said is if we can control our mouth, the rest of us will follow suit. And that's amazing. If we can get our words under control... If we can figure out how to stop sinning with our words, then the rest of us will follow suit. Like, it'll be easy to stop sinning in all the other ways that we tend to stumble. That's amazing to me. So then he gives us three illustrations. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships, as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now, what I want you to notice about these horses and ships is that when they are controlled, when these large things are controlled by these relatively small things, their power is harnessed for good, right? A horse can actually do a lot of work. And a ship can carry people and things, it can haul, and it can do much more than any one person could do on their own. And so these large things can actually be used for really good purposes if they are well controlled. So he goes on, he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So now he's using a negative illustration, right? And we all know what this small spark is that can set a forest ablaze. We've either done it ourselves or we've had it done to us. And you don't have to look far in the news. If you look in Northern California, the forest fires tend to rage there. They're out of control. They're unpredictable and they are set by one tiny little spark. And death and destruction is left in the wake. And so that is what he is warning us our words can do. But just in case we missed it, he kind of gives us this little gut punch in verse 6. He says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All right, James. Well, (laughs) that's a little hard to read, isn't it? (laughs) But here's the thing. He's saying if we can't control our words, soon they are going to control us. And our whole life is going to be set on fire. And do you know where it comes from? Straight from the pit of hell. And Jesus talks about the one that sets this fire from hell. And he says this in John 8, 44b, there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is who wants to control our tongue and our words. And he is the father of lies. And so here's what I think James is setting up for us. Are we going to have our words be used as an instrument of the father of lies? Or are we going to have our words be used as an instrument for the father of love? The father of lies or the father of love? And you remember Jesus told us that we will give an account for every empty word that is spoken. And to me, that means that there's actually no middle ground. We either speak on behalf of the father of love or we speak on behalf of the father of lies. Here's what you need to know about the father of lies. He has been a student of humanity since the beginning of time. And he is a very good student. He knows just what to whisper into your ear to encourage you to say that hateful thing to encourage you to set that little fire, to encourage you to tell a little lie, to say the little bit of gossip. He knows just what to do to incite us. He knows our weak areas. He is a good student. But here's what you need to know about the father of love. See, even though the devil sneaks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, he is no match for our God, right? Because the one who lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world, right? That's right. And 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that Jesus has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So while the father of lies is sneaky and he's deceptive and he's really good at his job, Our God is greater and he has given us everything we need to choose to not give in to the father of lies, but only to speak on behalf of the father of love. All right. Well, James goes on and he tells us that all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Basically, he's telling us, look, we have figured out how to tame wild animals But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I feel like James just keeps saying this over and over again, right? Here's what he's saying. No one can tame the tongue. Not in our own strength will we ever be successful at this. See, this is not try harder, do more, do better next time. Because we will fail. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the willpower strong enough to do this well. We have to draw from a higher power, God's power, who dwells within us to help us speak words of truth and life instead of words that are on behalf of the father of lies. We need the power of the gospel. He goes on, and and here in this last part, he's basically starting to delineate that there's actually two kinds of ways that we can speak, which again, the father of lies or the father of love. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. See, he's basically telling us whether they know me or not, they are my image bearers. They are precious in my sight. And when you speak words that are on behalf of the father of lies, that is not what I intend for them. We are to bring life through our words. And he says, Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. And my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So here's what he's saying to us in this, is that we need to bear fruit that is consistent with who we are. See, we are the redeemed, beloved daughters of God. And so we should bear fruit that is in kind with being redeemed, beloved daughters of God, right? Can a fig tree bear olives? No. Should the redeemed, beloved daughters of God bear life? Yes. Should they bear death? No. That's what he's inviting us into here. Okay, so I feel like James has done a great job of diagnosing the situation for us. We know that we all struggle with our words. And he's just told us we're actually without hope if we try to do this on our own. Okay, well then, James, what's the answer? Give us this hope. Tell us how we do this. And we have to go a little bit further into James to find the answer, and that's in James chapter 4. Verse seven, he says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's a promise. If we resist the devil, he will flee. And if we come near to God, he will come near to us. So that's the answer. Seems so easy, right? If we just submit ourselves to God, if we just draw near to him, we read in our passage this week that Jesus so insightfully tells us that it's actually out of the heart that the, that the mouth speaks. And so when we draw near to God, when we submit ourselves to him, we're basically filling our heart with the true things of God. And when we have those crucible moments, you know, where we get squeezed and pushed and kind of like a, a tube of toothpaste, it comes out. What comes out is what's been stored up in our heart. And so what are we storing in our heart? Who is it that we are becoming? Who are we submitting to? Are we drawing near to God? And when I say draw near to God, we got to do this constantly. Constantly. All the time. We got to fill ourselves with the truth. Remember we talked about the plumb line on the first day? This, these words of truth, if we don't have them in us, when we get squeezed, words that are on behalf of the father of lies will come out of us. So there is hope. Now I want to take you to a story of a woman who I think does this really well, who is squeezed and pressed And her response is insightful for us, and I actually think there's some things for us to learn from her. And this is the story of Hannah, and she is in 1 Samuel. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel with me, please do, otherwise we will have it up on the screen. Let me tell you a little bit about Hannah. Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah. Now, problem already is that Elkanah has two wives, Hannah and Penanah. Now, we're not going to get into the cultural context and the reasoning for this, but let's just imagine for a moment what it's like for two women to share one husband, right? Are we set up for some conflict? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I think so. All right. So they, uh, as is the tradition, they go up to offer sacrifices every year. So I'm going to start in verse four. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penanah, and all her sons and daughters. So this is important to note that Penanah has a lot of sons and daughters. And in this day and age, having children was everything. It was your inheritance. It was how you were cared for in your old age. It meant that God blessed you or he didn't. It was Everything. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So we've just learned two things about Hannah. She is loved by her husband and she has no children. Now, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, which is Penanah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. She is very intentional with her words. And this went on. Year after year. Can we just pause and wonder what would it be like to be Hannah? Here is this woman living in this family structure, has no children, desires children, and gets provoked year after year by this woman that she has to share a husband with by this woman who seems to get what she wants. Can you imagine what that must've felt like for her? So whenever Hannah went up, um, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So it obviously had a huge impact on Hannah. She wept and wouldn't eat. Now, Some of us know this kind of provoking, not her situation, obviously, but we know what it's like to be so provoked by a situation that we are weeping and we cannot eat. We are immobilized by this situation. It is consuming every bit of us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Hannah, I may have made some poor choices at this point. Like, I may have bit back at Peninaw. And said something like, yeah, well, you may have children, but our husband loves me. Or I might have gathered my allies together and told them, do you see how awful she is? Do you see what she's doing to me? And I would have gathered my people to support me in my case. But Hannah doesn't do that. So let's see what Hannah does. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Okay, so here's the first thing I want us to notice about this situation. Elkanah has no idea it's happening. In her wisdom, she chooses to not share inappropriately with him. Now, Again, cultural context, we live in a different day and age, but she knew in her wisdom of the family structure and the fact that this is the family she will live in. There are no other choices for her. And that if she starts to create dissension in the family, it is going to tear the family structure apart. And this is the family she has to live in. There isn't another choice for her. So she uses great wisdom and discernment and not sharing what's going on inappropriately. I think we have a lot to learn from that. More often than not, we want to tell everybody what's happening to us. Because we want some allies. And Hannah shows us a different way. So this is, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Okay, so I want you to notice this. As soon as she is able, she removes herself from this situation. It wasn't appropriate for her to leave any sooner than she did, but as soon as she could, she leaves and she moves into a place that is quiet and safe for her. She moves into the temple. And she cries out to the Lord. So I think there's two things for us to learn from this. One is we need to actually remove ourselves from when we're being provoked, right? And the second is we need to cry out to the Lord. We need to go to him. But I want you to notice what she says to him and what she doesn't. She says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. She does not pray. Do you see what she is doing to me, Lord? Can you take care of her? Do something to her. No, she prays. See me. Meet me here. I am in a hard place. Lord, I'm going to draw near to you and I'm going to trust you to draw near to me. And that's how she handles it. So she doesn't share inappropriately. She removes herself from the situation and she seeks the Lord. And verse seven told us that this happened year after year. Hannah exemplifies for us that just trying harder and doing better is not going to work because year after year, eventually she will get squeezed and pushed and out will come what was really in her heart. And that's what I think we need to know the truth of out of the heart is what the mouth speaks. Hannah was storing up truth about God. And we know this because of what happens with the rest of her story. So she does have a son. His name is Samuel, and she does dedicate him to the Lord. And these are the words that she says when she does it. She says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. See, she has stored up truth in her heart. This is what pours out of her. And then she has some instructions for us. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. See, Hannah knew the truth that God would be her vindicator. She did not need to vindicate herself. She didn't need to speak these words over Peninnah that would sound arrogant or that would try to gather attention for her. She trusted the Lord and she trusted him to be her vindicator. She filled her heart with what was true. And that's the thing that we need to notice about Hannah. If you write anything down, it's fill your heart with the truth. Fill your heart with what is true. All of that is the foundation that she was able to build on. So when she came into this crucible moment, she was able to choose who to share with and not share with. She was able to choose as soon as she could to leave the situation, and she was able to choose to go to the Lord and let him be her vindicator in his time. Okay, so I think we have a lot we can learn from Hannah about how we can resist speaking on behalf of the father of lies. But there's more to it than that, right? James tells us that we can either speak words that are fresh water. Or we can speak words that would be more like salt water. You know, fresh water is living and salt water is dead. So there's resisting, but then there's also this active turning to speak on behalf of the father of love, to speak intentional words. Paul instructs us in Philippians 4. With this, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, he's telling us we start with our mind, our mind goes down into our heart, and out of the heart will come our words. We've got to set our minds on what is true and lovely and right and admirable. Those are the things we need to think of. So I love it when science affirms the Bible. And it is doing that. There's this whole field of study called positive psychology, right? And it's basically confirming what Paul is telling us to do here. It's basically telling us that when we set our minds on the good things, the true and the right and the noble and the admirable and the lovely things, we actually recreate the pathways in our brain so that we start actually scanning the world and seeing the lovely things instead of scanning the world and seeing all the hurtful and hateful things. So when we think about those true things, science has affirmed. Empirical studies have shown us that we actually start seeing them more. It becomes our disposition. That's what Paul is telling us to do. There's a a man, a, a leading researcher and author. His name is Sean Acor. And he's written a book called The Happiness Advantage. I'm actually about halfway through it right now. And it is really interesting about how we can just start to see the world differently and how it impacts our heart. And James tells us and Jesus tells us that it's actually out of the heart that our words come. Okay, So he gives us, this man Sean Acor has a couple of two-minute exercises that we can do to start to cultivate a heart that sees the world differently so that we can speak on behalf of the father of love. And they are to start keeping a gratitude journal. Some of you do this already. Two minutes a day, writing down three things that you are grateful for, three things that are different. You don't get to repeat them day after day, so it gets a little harder as you move on. And he encourages you to be specific, right? So instead of just saying, I'm grateful for my friend, You would say, I'm grateful for my friend because she reached out to me this morning and told me she was praying for me. So writing that down, the second activity he gives us, the second option is to do a two minute journaling activity, to look back over the last 24 hours and choose something that was good in your day and to journal about it for two minutes, to notice what was good about it, like to write the details down. What did it feel like? What was happening? And it's actually retraining our brain. So here's the thing, though, with both of those. I know with journaling, we could start to go on and on, and you could wind up 20 minutes later, you're done with your journaling activity. I want to encourage you, if you do this, set a timer, do it for two minutes. Because two minutes is repeatable every day. 20 minutes may be awesome one day, but if you know you're going to spend 20 minutes, you're going to not do it, right? So two minutes a day. And the last thing he says, his last suggestion, is to take two minutes... To speak words of truth and life over someone. He doesn't say it exactly that way, but we're going to say it the Jesus way. (laughs) To take two minutes to speak something that is true and life-giving over someone. And that's what James tells us to do. Speak words that bear the fruit of who we are. What would it be like for us to be people that speak those words out to God's image bearers, whether they know him or not, to speak words of truth and life? So I want to tell you that I have actually started doing the first two of these things. I've sat down and, and before I do my Bible reading and my prayer time, I spend two minutes just journaling about what is good and what's been good over the last 24 hours. And then I quickly write down three things that I am grateful for and it has been transformative. I'm not kidding. Because I had been, I'll just true confessions here, I had been sitting down with the Lord, feeling really anxious lately. There just seems to be a lot going on, a lot of places where I need the Lord to show up, and I feel like I'm coming to him, and I'm like, here's all the things you need to do, and if you could take care of this yesterday, that would be really helpful. (laughs) And I just feel like I'm kind of having trouble sitting still. And so I've started doing this and it has really changed. All of a sudden I open my Bible and I actually can read it. And I actually can hear what God has to say to me because I've started to realize that while there's this huge list and that has not changed, he is good and he is active and he is moving and he is meeting me in places and he is showing up. And so it has changed my whole mindset. I would just encourage you guys to adopt one or more of those practices and see what it does in your heart. I thought it would be good for us to take a moment right now to do the last one, to speak words of life over someone. So here's what I want you to do. In just a minute, if you've got a smartphone, I want to encourage you to grab it and I want to encourage you to just ask the Lord, who do you want me to speak words of truth and life over? And then let's send them a text or an email and just speak something true and life-giving over them on behalf of the Father of love. Now, if you don't have a phone or you don't want to use your phone for any reason, there are a few note cards in the middle of the table. You can just jot them a note and then throw that into the mail for them. And if for some reason you don't want to do that, then I would just encourage you to pray life-giving words over that person. So we're going to do that. I'm going to put two minutes up on the timer so you'll know what two minutes feels like. Um, and I want to invite you just to, to do this in silence. Silence. Um, And then when we're done with that, I will close us. So uh, go ahead and take two minutes now to just write some life-giving words for somebody. Okay, so that was two minutes. Some of you aren't done. You have more more life-giving words to speak to that person. So while you're finishing that, let me just remind you of what is true. We actually can have success in this area of our lives. We can be women that speak on behalf of the father of love. And we can do that when we cultivate a heart that is founded on the truth of who our God is and how much he loves us. And the fact that he is the one who will vindicate us. We don't have to do that for ourselves. We can follow Hannah's example by filling our heart with that love By being careful of how we share, removing ourselves when we need to, and seeking him in prayer. There is success to be had in this area, and it's not because of our effort. It's because of the transforming work that Jesus does in our lives. So I just want to encourage you to lean into this this week. Choose one of these things or more, and do it every day this week. Every day. Every day. Set a timer on your phone if you need to, however you want to do it. But see what happens in seven days. See if it changes your heart. And perhaps as you send these words out to people, it'll be interesting to see what comes back too. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are a good father who loves us so much. And that you can give us success in this area of our lives. So, Lord, we pray over our words. We ask, Lord, that you would make them words that are pleasing to you. And, Lord, we pray against our enemy. And we pray that we would know his tactics. And we would recognize them. And we would turn away from them. We would resist the devil. And that he would flee from us. And, Lord, that we would draw near to you. And that you would draw near to us. So, go before us, Lord. May our words be pleasing to you, and we ask this for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.